Hello, my name is Jordan Tardo, and I'm the lead pastor at Experience Church. I'd like to take a moment and just say thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast today. I hope this message blesses you. I hope it encourages you. I hope it strengthens you for what God has called you to today. Beatitudes. Uh, really, the scripture in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, really is the start of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is what they call it, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's really the Sermon on the Mount. In the beginning of that is where Jesus goes over eight Beatitudes, and we're going to talk about those today, really starting in verse 1. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mount side and sat down. His disciples uh, came to him, and he began to teach them, and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemaker. Come on, somebody, a lot of blessing. You know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll, I'll take all the blessing I can get. Blessed are the peacemaker for the peacemakers, for they will be called Children of God, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Eight times Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples, and he's teaching this sermon on the mount. And eight times he says, blessed are, and he goes through these eight beatitudes. And we're going to talk about those today in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. It says, blessed are are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to share that about this today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But before I do, I want to give you just a little backstory on really what it shows us about the Sermon on the Mount and really the Beatitudes. I love this because every time Jesus says something, the poor in spirit, the hunger and thirst, he always says first, blessed. He says the word blessed. Now, let me say this. The word blessed here does not mean rich. He's not saying rich people are the poor in spirit and rich people hunger and thirst and rich people are meek. That's not what he's saying. When he's saying blessed here, oftentimes our culture, our society is hashtag blessed everything. You know what I'm saying? And that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here when he says blessed actually comes in the translation. You can look it up really from the word happy. It really comes from the word happy and not the term happy that you and I have. Not the term where you, you're, you're angry or hangry because you're hungry. You eat some food and all of a sudden you're like, yay, I'm so happy. That's not the happy. Not when like you get your dog and comes and cuddles up to you and you're like, ah. And you're ha- that's not the kind of happy Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about really a joy, an eternal joy, an internal joy that comes from those that do these things. Blessed are. And so it's showing us, I love it, it's showing us a picture of really statements that reveal what and where true happiness can be find, found. And these eight things we can see, we, are, we can find happiness, joy, if you will from doing these things and we are living in a time and a day and a culture and a society that is searching for happiness 
We are living in a culture and a society that is get, getting more pills and more things to try to find a, a way to f- truly find happiness, getting into all types of different relationships and substances, all different things to try to find happiness. When we see in the scripture, this joy comes from really walking out these eight things. And so we're going to be talking about these eight things. And I'm excited about that because I believe God desires for us to be a people that live a life in joy and walking in satisfaction with life. Can I hear a great big Amen. I appreciate that. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, uh, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I want to talk to you about uh, blessed are the poor in spirit today. And when we read this text, when we see poor, it doesn't mean poor financially. Okay, so we can read this text and we can think, oh, so I'm supposed to be poor. Well, I have money in my bank account or I make a lot of money out of my job or I've retired and I, make, I have I, this, 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 this income or I have this, this uh, investment property or this investments that I've made and I've made a lot of money. And so does that mean that I can't be, I can't be poor in spirit or I can't be blessed? No, that's not what he's talking about. Poor in spirit really, uh, really comes from the concept of I'm spiritually poor, meaning this. Two different terms of poor in the scripture. There's the poor of I don't have enough. So meaning you, you have money, but you don't have enough to pay whatever that price is. Or another term is just completely broke. That's the term this is talking about, like completely bur- broke spiritually. When we were growing up, teenagers, uh, we would go to the movies and movies, I don't know, they were five or six dollars. We would go and we had two friends, the same two friends. They would always do the same thing every time we go to the movies. They would ride with us and when we, we would get there, one friend was always short. You know what I'm saying? If the movie's were five bucks, he's like, I got $3. Hey, can somebody spot me? Well, dude, you're at the counter, and literally the lady's giving you the ticket, and you're looking at one of us, and he's short. He's, he's, he doesn't have enough. Then there was always this other friend. True story. I'm telling you, you can ask my brothers. Every time, he would ride with us. He would get to the window, and he would say, hey, can somebody buy my ticket? I don't have any money. Well, bro, you knew we were going to the movies, You rode with us, you walked up to the counter, and then you waited to tell us until you got to the counter. Why? Because he knew somebody's going to pay for him. You know what I'm saying? He was broke. This is the term, what it means in the scripture. We're talking about poor in spirit, broken spirit, this concept of this, of where it's literally, I have nothing without Jesus. I have nothing without Jesus. I'm spiritually helpless. I want to show you another translation. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those. He he brings satisfaction and fulfillment and joy to those who realize I have nothing without him. I need him. Another translation says those people who know they have great spiritual needs are happy because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. We see this concept of it's the, those that are spiritually, they understand I have this great need that only Jesus can meet. It's I have nothing. I can't do it on my own. And this is the where we start to find joy and satisfaction. It starts with knowing I can't do anything without him. I'm broke spiritually without him. And I love this because the scripture says, it doesn't stop with blessed are those who are poor in spirit. It then says, for they will inherit the kingdom. Actually, it says, go back to it. It said they will inherit. It says, for the kingdom of God is theirs. Excuse me. It says, for the kingdom of God is theirs. In order to truly understand, to be able to receive salvation and be able to receive the kingdom of God and receive eternal life, it starts with knowing we need Jesus. We can't do it without him. We cannot get to eternity without Jesus. And every one of these um, Beatitudes, they end with for they or for theirs. 
So it shows us something that we can obtain spiritually. So we can, we can bless, we can find joy, but then also it's not this far away, I hope so. It's, but he says, when I'm blessed, I'm, I'm satisfied because I'm broke spiritually. I know I'm in need of him in every area of my life. And then it goes to, and they will, are the ones that will receive eternal life, the kingdom of heaven. They will. So we see, okay, how do I receive eternal life? I understand. I, I need Jesus and with Jesus, he's the only way. And from that, I find this satisfaction, this fulfillment, this joy that I cannot find on this planet without him. Does that make sense? And so that's kind of the beginning portion of what we're talking about today. And I wanna give you some different things that I see as we read through this scripture. It says, again, in, in verse five and three, in that last scripture I had up, it says, those people who know they have great spiritual needs are happy because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Here's what I know. We have to understand, it says that they have great spiritual needs. See, I know this. If you don't, you'll never pursue something you don't need. Need creates pursuit. So what we can do is we can pursue Jesus with salvation because we need salvation from sin, but then financially we're secure and then so we'll just leave Jesus and leave God out of our finances. Relationally, we're okay and we feel like we're good enough and so we'll leave God out of our relationships and we'll try to figure things out in our lives with, on our own, but, when he, but we'll, take, we'll ask him for our health because our health, we're sick in our bodies and so we'll need him in our bodies. But Jesus says, listen, blessed are those who understand it's my whole life. I need you in every area of my life, not just in my emergency. Does that make sense? And it's important that we understand this. We'll never pursue something that we don't need. Just recently, Ashley and I were at one of the stores here locally, and uh, I love crawfish. I'm from New Orleans. Many of you know that. If you don't know that, I'm from New Orleans. Uh, forgive me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but I'm from New Orleans, and we love crawfish. We eat crawfish. We'll eat crawfish for breakfast, dinner, midnight snack, lunch. It doesn't matter. You got it. We eating it. You know what I'm saying? And so we, we did this crawfish boil, and uh, I, 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 there was this boiler at this, this store I went to, and it was a new boiler, and it was nice, and it was one. And I already have a boiler, but I, this new boiler was nicer. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? It was like, it was a little shinier. You know what I mean? And so I was looking, and I was like, ooh, Ashley, look at this. And she says, well, how much is it? Oh, you know what I'm saying? Let's look at the price. I looked at the price, and immediately when I saw the price, this is the words that came, came out of my mouth. Oh, I don't need this. <laughs> I saw the price, and I said, the, the, what I am purchasing is not worth the need because I don't need it, I have it already. See, here's the interesting thing. This is what happens oftentimes. I, this, we oftentimes don't understand that really if we're not careful, what we'll do is, okay, let me say it this way. There's, there's need, there's cost, there's reward, okay? And oftentimes what we do is if we, there's not a need for it, we won't understand the value of the cost and so then we won't receive the reward, does that make sense? Because we understand that, listen, it's not worth that price. Why? Because I don't really need it. But if I really needed something, it's gonna be worth whatever I need to give. Why? Because I know I really need it. With Jesus, it should be we need him with everything that we're willing to give everything because we know the value of relationship and eternal life with him is worth more than anything else we can get. Does that make sense? And so this is what he's talking about. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. It's saying, okay, Jesus, in every area of my life, I need you. What's the cost? The cost is giving you my life and believing you. God, it's so worth that. Why? Because the reward is relationship. It's forgiveness. It's eternal life. And so I see the reward, and I know the cost of the reward is not even close to the greatness of the reward. And so from my need, it's going to drive me to pay the price of whatever I need to pay. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? 
It's so important that we would understand this. And so in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, it says, then Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. He doesn't say, interesting enough, he doesn't say uh, for those that want to save their life, uh, then they they can lose their, their, their finances or they can lose their health, or they can lose their, their relationships. He says, or give, better words than lose is give. Give my relationships, give my finances. He says that they would give their entire life. Every area of my life, Jesus, I want you to, I want to say, I need you. This is what blessed of the poor in spirit means. Poor in spirit means in all areas of my life, Jesus, I need you. Revelation chapter three and verse 15, it says, I know your deeds, that you are ne- neither cold nor hot, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I, were, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is God in, the, in Revelation writing to one of the churches in Revelations, and he says, I want you to see, he says, you're lukewarm. You're not hot or cold. He says, and you say this, you're rich. He says that you are at a place where you don't need a thing. And because of this, you you think you're good, but you're wretched, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. What is he saying? He says you've gotten so comfortable in your life of just being able to fulfill the things that you need, pay the bills you need to pay, and, and take care of the things you need to take care of. You've gotten so comfortable that now you're not hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. Here's what I know about lukewarm. If you take hot water and put hot water on top of the hot water, it stays as hot water. If you get cold water and you put cold water on top of cold water, you get cold water. Real simple. I know. I'm a genius. But interesting enough, if you put hot water and you put cold water on top of one another and fill it up, the water gets lukewarm. And I'm going to be honest with you. Y'all know lukewarm water is like, you know what I'm saying? It ain't, it's not tasty. Like I'm not talking about room temperature. Room temperature is not lukewarm. You get like the lukewarm, like the bath water. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're trying to drink it like, hey, man, I really want something to drink. I'm so thirsty. You take some bath water and you're like, Bleh. you know what I mean? I don't want this. That's not refreshing. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is, this is what God was saying with this concept is in some areas of your life, you're hot. You need me in your salvation. You're, you're desperate for me because you know you can't pay your sins and you can't pay. And so you're desperate for that and you're, and you're unhealthy and your body and so you need healing and so you're hot in that area. But over here you're cold because financially you're secure or because your relationships are good and you're trying to figure relationships out or you don't want to be patient. And so there's some cold areas and here's what's happened. You've mixed those two things together. Some need, some not. And you've become lukewarm, a.k.a. comfortable, complacent. And he says, and you think you're good. He says, but in fact, you're wretched. And so it shows us the concept when Jesus starts this message on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are those that are poor in spirit. They're blessed because they say in all areas of my life, Jesus, it starts with I need you. I want to give you a couple things that why we need Jesus in our lives. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Without Jesus, we are in debt. It says the wages of sin, the cost, the price of sin is death. 
Now, most of us know this, and we understand the concept of that we have to believe in Jesus because we've all sinned. But here's the thing that's interesting. We all, if we understand sin, creates this debt in our lives that we could never pay back on our own. I don't know if you ever purchased a home, but if you purchase a home, as you're signing, you're literally, there's like stacks of paper, and you're signing, you're swiping, you're signing, you're swiping, you're signing, you're swiping. You're like, I really pray that my realtor is trustworthy. You know what I'm saying? Because you are signing, you don't know what you're signing. You could be signing away your house to give it to somebody else. You're just signing, pray, sign. And y'all might be one of those readers that like reads every detail. Not me. <laughs> okay. Sign, go, sign, go. And it's this huge stack of papers. You know, I was thinking about, just think from the beginning of the year, 2022 started, five, five months, I know we're in the sixth month, five months, think about how many mistakes you've made in just the last five, five months, think about how many wrong thoughts you've had, think about how many negative things that you've thought about or said, think about how you've treated your spouse wrongly, think about how you've, you've looked at that thing, Look, think about all the mistakes in just the last five months, think about the amount of papers in just the last five months. Now, take your age and think about in the last 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and the amount of papers that we have stacked up due to the mistakes that we have made. The debt that we have signed ourselves by the actions and the, 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 the choices that we have made. We have signed the paper. You may not have signed it with your hand, but we've signed it with the choices we've made. And this debt has gotten so huge that there's no way we could ever repay the debt. And here's the thing about debt, always. Somebody's gonna pay for it. Somebody will always pay for debt. The great thing about the God that we serve, and again, this is why it starts with who we, how we need him. We're poor in spirit because we know, Jesus, without you, we have this debt that we could never pay. But because you loved us so much, you chose to pay the penalty, pay the debt that we could never pay ourselves. And so because of that, we're willing to pay the cost of giving our lives to you. Blessed are the poor in spirit that we say, Jesus, without you, I'm in debt and I could, never go, I could never get out of it. And again, we, 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 we celebrate, and this is why we worship, I love, we sang the song, Nothing But The Blood today. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, what can wash away? Nobody wants to sing with me. Okay, cool, praise God. Well, well, we know who's not worshiping and who is. Okay, praise God. Okay. I love that we sang that song. We had no idea. I had no idea he was singing that song. He had no idea I was teaching on this message. You know, so God just kind of setting things up. But here's what I love about it. We sing these songs and we worship the blood of Jesus, not because we, are, we, we think that all of a sudden the blood's just gonna, like we're gonna start uh, cutting each other's th- uh, arms and, or we're gonna get goat's blood and we're gonna start pouring it out like in the Viking shows and we're gonna like, start pouring blood all over ourselves. No, I'm gonna be honest with you. If that ever happened, I'm out. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, oh, Jesus, you wash us, your, your blood washes our sins. It's not because we're thinking, okay, if you're new here, or you're, maybe you're not new here, maybe you kind of come sometimes, and you think, oh, my gosh, you're talking about, like, blood. Like, is this going to be like the Vikings? No, gosh, no. I can't even watch those shows because I want to puke watching the shows, much less if blood's actually getting poured on me. You know what I'm saying? Here's the deal. We're singing about it because we're, we're, we are remembering and recognizing and being grateful for, for, and saying and honoring God for knowing that without him, we could never remove the penalty, the shame, the guilt, the, the cost, the debt 
of sin and because of him and because he chose to give his life and pay that penalty, now we're able to walk in relationship with God. Now the Bible says that sin has been removed off of our lives and so we celebrate the blood of Jesus and honor Jesus for it. Why? That's why we come into communion. And remember, because we want to honor him because we know without him, we're, in our, we're stuck in our debt. Without his blood, we're stuck in his debt. Without Jesus, we're in debt. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 14 says, they offered superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. I'm gonna read that to you again. Let you think how much that sounds like today's world. They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal womb and they give assurances of people. Peace when there is no peace. Peace. With Jesus, we can only cope. With Jesus, we can only cope. The word cope means to deal with or attempt to overcome problems and difficulties. The word cope means to deal with or overcome problems or to try to attempt and deal with problems, overcoming problems and difficulties. We live in a world that is, is living and trying and pursuing ways to cope with the pain on this planet. We're living in a society that's searching for answers for the evil in this world. And you hear people say, oh, I'm just coping. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to make it. I'm just trying to deal with the situations. And here's the great thing about Jesus. With Jesus, we don't have to cope. We don't have to deal with it. He wants to heal us from it. He doesn't want us to deal, it, deal with it. He wants to heal it. And we're living in a time, in a culture, in a society where there's so much division racially and there's so much violence and shootings and mass murders and all these different things. And we're living in a society that wants answers and asking questions and God, where are you? And what are you doing? And why is this happening? And we're trying to cope. But without Jesus, that's all we can do. And here's what I know. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The problem in our society is not a person. The problem with our racial divide and division in our country is not a color of our skin. The problem of mass murders, and I'm not getting political, I am not political. Y'all know I do not talk about politics, that is not my heart. But the problem of our society of violence is not whether we have more guns or less guns. The problem is not a governor. The problem is not a president. The problem is not your spouse. The problem is not your job. The problem is this. It is sin. Sin is and always will be the problem. But here's the issue. Culture and humanity without God, we try to cope with sin. And so here's how we cope with sin. The only way we can cope with sin is we can't remove sin because only Jesus can do that. So we try to cope with sin by covering sin. We see it from the beginning of time. Jesus, I mean God, excuse me, is trying to walk with Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they did, <gasps> weird. The first thing they did was cover themselves. Why? Because the only way humanity can cope with sin 
And the evil of sin is by trying to cover it. The problem about covering it is we know we're not dealing with the root issue. And so here's what covering it does. It blames a certain race. It blames a certain government. It blames a certain person. It blames a certain job. It blames. And so we blame all these things around us. And so we're trying to cope. Why? Because we're trying to cover up the sin when without Jesus, that's all we can do. But Jesus does not want us to cope with sin. He wants to remove the sin and heal us from the sin. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles, Chapter 7, in verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, they will, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. If my people, interesting. If my people who are called by my name. Interesting. It doesn't say if culture it doesn't say if sinners. It doesn't say if people that are atheists. It doesn't say people that don't love God. It says if my people who are called by my name, Christians, believers, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and then I will heal their land. Interesting. Because here's what Christians often do. We often think, oh, I've gotten comfortable with my wife and my spouse and my friends and my coworkers and, and my church and my small group. And so I'm growing in God. I'm learning about God. I'm reading about God. I'm praying to God. I'm worshiping God. I'm feeling good about myself. I'm feeling more secure. I'm removing some things off my life. The baggage is getting gone. It was 13 weeks of baggage. I feel great now. I'm feeling like I don't have any baggage. I'm feeling good. And here's what we do. Then we look at the world and we say, oh, why can't they change? If the world would change, then things would get so much better. Oh, then there wouldn't be any violence if the sinners would stop sinning. Sinners sin. That's what they do. We're Christians and we sin. At least they claim it. He says, if my people, the church, the body of Christians and believers in our world, if they would humble themselves and seek my face, See, here's what I think. I think oftentimes we get so caught up in blaming others that we don't realize that God is wanting us to know that we are the ones that have become comfortable in ourselves. And through our comfortability, we've become complacent. And because we get comfortable with our four-bedroom home and our picket fence and our swimming pools and our trucks and our cars and our boats, and we've gotten so comfortable in our society and our culture, and so we're good. Now we want everyone else to change around us. No, Jesus says this, God says this, if my people would humble themselves and seek my face get rid of the comfortable and say I want to pursue God why because Jesus I need you in my land I need you in every area of my life not just the area I can control I need you in all areas of my life oh well this generation is just oh whatever oh I can't wait to, I can't believe what it's going to look like 50 years from now 100 years from now oh it's not the same as it used to be yeah because the church has stopped getting on their knees and I'm not talking about on Sunday I'm talking about on a daily basis on their knees seeking God for our country we need him in all areas like whoa this is kind of serious. Welcome to Beatitudes. You're like, man, I thought the Beatitudes was going to be a fun one. Not so much. It starts with us. We can look at the world and we can say they need Jesus so much so. But here's the question. Do you need him? Do you need him in your life? <laughs> 
Just because things are good in an area of your life doesn't mean you don't need him. In fact, I would say if it's good in your life, you need him more. Why? Because the better things get, the more hands-on we go. Too much? Sorry. Jesus loves you, I promise. Do you need him? Because if not, if the church doesn't humble themselves, if the church doesn't seek his face, we're gonna live in a society without Jesus that just tries to cope. He is, he always has been, and he always will be the only answer. He is, he always has been, and he always will be the only answer. Jesus. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Without Jesus, we're in debt. Without Jesus, we can only cope. And without Jesus, we have no purpose. We have no purpose without Jesus. I love this because it says, for I know the plans I have for you. So oftentimes, especially young people, if you're a young person in the room, but not just, not excluding young people, I mean older people, but oftentimes we seek God for direction. And God, what do you want me to do? And God, where do you want me to go? And God, what do you want me to work on? And God, who do you want me to talk to? And God, God I don't know what God, God, what are you doing? And so what we can do is without him, we just begin to wander. We begin to make our own plans. We begin to jump into our own relationships and we begin to do all these things because this is the feelings that we have and we feel like this is what we should do or someone else, someone else is doing it so we should do it or someone else is, is taking this job so we should take this job and it causes us to just do things in our own way when uh, without Jesus, this is what happens. There's no purpose. We just wander. But I love this because God says, I know the plans, meaning this, there's a plan. Whether you think there's a plan for your life or not, there is. No matter how old you are, you can be 75 years old and you can feel like my days are coming to an end. Let me tell you something. He still has a plan for you. I believe it every day. Tomorrow, the best is yet to come. Tuesday, the best is yet to come. And with God every day, the best is yet to come. He has a plan for us. Acts chapter 17 and verse 26, it says, from one man he made all the nations and that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. I love this. Go back, go, go back, go back. God, there it is. And it says, for one man he made all the nations. I love this. It says that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed time in history. Do you know God created you in the beginning of time? When God said, let there be light, when God created you, he, that he planned for you to be on this planet right now, June 5th in 2022. And it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. This is incredible about God. Then he says, and I appointed their time in history and the boundaries of their land. He not only assigned you the time period, he, assign, sound, he has assigned you, excuse me, the boundaries in which you live, meaning Tallahassee. If you live in Tallahassee, if you live somewhere else, the area of your life that you live in, he has set aside from the beginning of time. I want so-and-so at this year and this place, at this job and this city and this country and this world. Why? Because I know that I have a plan for them there. We can get so frustrated on what the plan is that we don't realize in trying to seek what God wants us from the plan that we cannot realize God is trying to work the plan out right now. 
Ever been driving with somebody and on a road trip or going to a friend's house and they're like, hey man, just follow me. You get in your car, they start driving, here comes the yellow light. And you say, surely they're going to stop because they know I'm following them. And of course, like any good friend would, they speed up. You think in your brain, you know I'm following you. What are you doing? Then you get on the interstate. They start weaving in our traffic like they're in NASCAR. You're trying to figure out what in the world's going on. You're trying to keep up. And you slowly, they get further and further ahead. And you can't follow them. But here's the interesting thing about humanity. As soon as you know where you're going... You stop following them. Oh, I hate following people in a car. If I'm going to do it, I'm leading. Ain't no way I'm following you because I know you're going to run the yellow light. You're going to run the stop sign. You're going to weave in our traffic. You're not going to use your blinker. I'm not doing it. If I'm going to do it, I want to. Why? But as soon as I find out where I'm going, if I know where I'm going, you know what I say? I'm not going to follow them anymore. Could it be? Could it be? Could it be? That we beg God for the great grand picture of what life is going to be. And he gives us little small glimpses and he gives us little skills and little attributes. Could it be that he doesn't give us the big, huge, large picture because he, if, if we knew where we were going, we wouldn't follow him? Could it be that he just gives us little glimpses because he wants us to follow him? See, God's not looking for us to go, oh, okay, I know where I'm going because if I know where I'm going, oh, I know my job. In 2025 or 2028 or 2030, I'm going to be in this city doing this thing. And so now every opportunity that comes uh, along in Baltimore, because you know you're supposed to be in Baltimore, every opportunity that comes along in Baltimore, you're like, well, I guess this is it. And next thing you know, we start to make our own way to get to where we think we're supposed to be when Jesus is just saying, hey, follow me. And Jesus, here's the great thing about Jesus. Jesus is not a terrible driver. He doesn't weave in and out of traffic. He doesn't run the yellow light. In fact, Jesus, the Bible says, he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Could it be that we get so stressed out and worked up on God, what's next, when all he's wanting us to do is rest and know, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to follow you. Oh, you don't understand what's going on with my relationship with my spouse. We're getting a divorce. And, oh, I don't, you don't understand what's going on with my job. And they may be, they're going to cut people. And oh, you don't understand. Like, we may not have enough. Money. Oh, you don't understand. Oh, I'm going to rest. And I'm going to know that if you're leading, you're going to take care of me. I'm going to be more concerned about just following you. Jesus, I need you in this area of my life. And here's what happens. Without him, we wander. Without him, we do make the decision. And we do do all, all these things. And next thing you know, we get to the place in our lives where we look back and we're like, how in the world did I get to this place? And we're in regret and we're in shame and we're in guilt. And we're in all these different things that we never thought we would do because we never, we never got to the place where we just realized, Jesus, I need you in this area of leading me and what you've called me to do, and who you've called me to be. Lastly, as I close today, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, praise be to the God of the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has driven us new birth. He has given us, excuse me, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that, you can per- that can never perish, that can never spoil or never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Without Jesus, 
We're in debt. Without Jesus, we can only cope. And without Jesus, we have no purpose. But ultimately, without Jesus, everything is meaningless. There's a whole book in the Bible, in Ecclesiastes, where the King Solomon writes, and he just goes from one thing to the next, talking about how it's just meaningless relationships. He says he's tried it. It's meaningless. He's all this wisdom he, 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 he obtained. It's, it's meaningless. All this money and finances, it's meaningless. All the jobs and the stature and the, and the fame and the fortune, it's all meaningless. He gets to the whole book, and he just talks about how it's all meaningless. I love this scripture because it says the inher- God gives us an inheritance that does not fade, does not spoil, that does not perish. You know, everything on this planet fades. The new cars and the shiny cars, they fade. The new homes and shiny homes, they fade. Relationally, we get old and one day we pass on and we fade. Everything on this planet fades, but Jesus says there's this inheritance that he gives us that will never fade, that will never spoil, it'll never go bad, it'll always be there. And it's an eternal inheritance. What is this eternal inheritance, you may ask? It's soul's it's other believers and other people that we have influenced throughout our life. It's not how much money we get to heaven. It's not going to be, oh, praise God. I got a million dollars in the bank account. It's not going to be, oh, thank God. Whew, I finally got married. Oh, it's, no, it's, 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 no, no, here's what it's going to be. It's going to be God with my life. I desire to live faithful to you. And in every area, I needed you. John chapter 15 and verse 8. It says, this is my Father's glory, that you, much, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this. Check this out. Check this out. This is so interesting. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your your joy may be complete. Blessed, filled with joy, happy, and eternal joy that no one can touch are those that say, Jesus, I need you. And here's what he says, I told you, if you do this, if you remain in me, if you honor me with your life, remain in me. And then he says, and bear much fruit. He says, the joy will be made complete in me. True satisfaction on this planet is not more stature and not being known and not more followers and not more money and not, more, and not a bigger house and not a bigger car and not, not more relationships. The true joy on this planet starts, and this is why Jesus started with poor in spirit. It starts with saying, Jesus, I need you. And how do I do that? How do I live that life? What's the price of that? What do I do? How do I find that? It's by honoring God and impacting others. I'm honoring God. 
and I'm impacting others. Jesus, I need you in my life. And so because I need you in my life, God, I'm broke. I'm spiritually broke. I'm mentally broke. I'm emotionally broke. I'm physically broke. God, I'm broke without you. I need you in my life. And why? God, because I want to find this blessing, this joy that only you can bring. We search for years for a joy that is found in just two things, honoring God and impacting others. And so in your life, I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know what area you may be hot in and what area you may be cold in. You may be smoking hot in all of them, praise God. You may be super cold in all of them. You may have some in between. I don't know, but I do know this, that blessed are those that are poor in spirit. We are searching for a joy that we find only when we say, Jesus, in every area of my life, I need you. You'll never find, hear me, I'm closing, I promise, for the 15th time. You'll never find a person more satisfied in life, filled to satisfaction, than someone who lives a life that says, Jesus, I need you. You'll never find a marriage. Oh, my goodness, for those that are married in the room. Oh, my goodness, you'll never find a marriage more fulfilled and satisfied than a marriage of two people that starts with Jesus. I need you. Not I need them to take care of me. No, Jesus, I need you in my life first. You'll never find a single person, oh my gosh, single people in the room, you'll never find a single person more fulfilled, satisfied, secure in themselves than someone that lives a life that says in every area of my life, Jesus, I need you. Children in the room, you'll never find a life more satisfying as you grow up into your life and being fulfilled and knowing you don't have to please or be like anybody else. You'll never find a young person more satisfied with life than a young person that says, even though I'm young, Jesus, I need you. I don't know where you are in your life, but I know this. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit that say, with my entire life, Jesus, I need you first because I know if it's in your hands, I know you'll take care of it and you'll satisfy me and you'll give me an eternal impact and inheritance that I would never receive on my own. You're like, man, this dude's getting worked up. Yes, I am. Why? Because so often, humanity, human nature, the flesh, carnality, whatever you want to call it, will get us to the place where we'll feel comfortable with where we've gotten spiritually. To the point of where we'll push God aside. We'll use his name. But there won't be no heart in it. And the Bible actually talks about that, how their lips will be saying it, but their hearts are corrupt. It's so important as Christians in the time, in the day that we live in, that we would start our lives today, tomorrow, and the rest of our lives. We would say, we started with Jesus. We need you. Jesus. We need you. Let us be a church. A body of believers 
that lives every day, that wakes up every morning and lives with it on our mindset all day long, that no matter what we do or where we go, that Jesus, we need you. Amen. Can we pray today? Father, I thank you.